Very blessed to be here, though. Thank you for um, just being so gracious. You guys are all so wonderful. Um, thanks for allowing me to be in your kids' lives and um, now speak to you. It's, it's a great opportunity. Um, I want to open up with a story. This story is about an old lady. I want you to picture in your mind just the sweetest grandma, just this beautiful, wonderful, Jesus-loving old lady, and she is in the Christmas spirit, so she is just baking Christmas cookies for her grandkids, and she is so excited to make just the biggest batch of Christmas cookies. Now, there's a young boy in the neighborhood who knocks on her door, and this boy is also filled with the Christmas spirit, and she opens the door, and the boy says, ma'am, I'd love to bless you with a Christmas gift, and she says, oh, well, thank you, my boy, and he says, can I paint something of yours, and she says, yes, I would love you to. Uh, I have a porch in the backyard. I would love for you to paint my porch green. So he grabs his buckets and she's like, you do a good job and I'll reward you with a plate of cookies. So he goes and he paints and an hour passes by. And after that, he comes back and and he's all covered in paint. and, And she says, oh, you probably did a great job. Here's your cookies. And he goes, he goes, yes, ma'am, but there's just one thing that confuses me. And she says, what is it, my boy? And he says, that wasn't a porch in your backyard. It was a Mercedes. So, so there's some Christmas gifts you like, and then there's others you wish you could just make, they never happened, you know? Now, we're talking about good Christmas gifts. Um, last week, we talked about hope today. We're talking about love. And next week, my dad is going to be talking about joy. I'm going to be talking about just two simple things with you guys. What is love? And then once we get it, what do we do with it? So, What is love? I think if we go by Disney movies, that can be kind of one of those staples, like, oh, those are stories of true love. But when you think about it, those are weird stories. Like if you you figure out what true love is by Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, it's pretty much get poisoned or cursed by a witch, fall asleep, ladies, and then the first guy, you don't even have to know him, the first random stranger who comes by and kisses you, that's your true love. Ladies, please don't go by that. Or here's the best one, Beauty and the Beast. Girls, if a big hairy man beats up your elderly father and then imprisons you in his house, and then if you start to have feelings for him, that's not true love, it's Stockholm Syndrome. That's what it is. Anyway, I believe that love is something much deeper. And today we're going to be talking about love, which is the greatest gift of all. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John 15, verse 13. I'll give you a moment to look it up. John 15, 13. Keep your place open to that in the Bible. We're going to continue to go back to it today. But in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that the message of love in your word is so clear. It's so plain. And I pray today that you would stir in our hearts your message of love. Not only the fact that we have it, but the knowledge of what to do with it. Thank you so much, Jesus. We love you. In your name, amen. So, the story of love, it started a long time ago. In the beginning, there was God. And the Bible tells us that God is love. You see, this is the great thing. This is the thing that blows me away, is that God didn't need us. He didn't look at us and say, 
I'm so lonely. I need people to to keep me entertained and people to love me and people to give me affection. No, God, this is the great thing about God is God is so amazing. He's so wonderful. He's so powerful. He's so awesome that he could literally just entertain himself with his own greatness for all of eternity. He doesn't need us. He never needed us. But here's the amazing thing. God literally, he is love is what the Bible says. He's, he's the very concept of love embodied in a physical, spiritual being. Anything that we've ever seen that we said, that's true love, that's amazing, that's true glorious love, it's merely a shadow of the love that he has and his great, amazing love. He created us not out of need, but out of want. He said, I love, and therefore I want to create a family to love. And that's amazing. Now, how many of you guys, you know, maybe you've planned having children. How many of you guys, someone asked you, you know, why did you have kids? Why did you plan to have kids? And you say, well, let me tell you, have you seen the grass in my yard? It's about this high. That's why I had kids. You know, it's, we, we didn't have kids to be our slaves and just to mow our lawns. Maybe some of you did. Or maybe some of you guys, once they hit the teenage years, you're like, oh, this makes sense. Now I know why I had these children. But God was not that way. Yes, we serve God, but we serve him in a response to the love he first had for us. But true love needs free will. And so God gave us a choice. He knew true love needs someone to actually choose to love back. So he gave us the choice to obey him and to love him and to follow him. And we know the story. Sin entered the world. Mankind made a choice to disobey God. Some people, they disobeyed his rules. They broke his rules. But other people full on rebelled against God and turned their back on God. Now at that point, God could have said, I'm done with the world. This was a failed experiment. I'm going to destroy the planet, start over on Mars, and I'm going to make the Martians a little bit more obedient than a human. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tweak the programming. But you know what? God doesn't make mistakes and he didn't make mistakes with us. He made us the way he wanted to make us. He gave us that choice to love him. He said, I love people. Now, I have always said my favorite people groups are the Jewish people and the British people. And I've read books growing up about World War II and the 1940s and Israel coming back together. And I just have a love for those people. But I can say, I love Jewish people. I love the English people. But do I really? I mean, I might love the concept of them, but there's so many of them, and I don't really even know that many Jewish people, and I only know a few British people. I can't really say I love the Jewish people and I love the British people. And some of you guys might think that way towards God. God says, for God so loved the world, for God so loved people. Well, I'm sure he loves people as a group. No, you need to understand that God loves you specifically. And if you were the only person on the planet, he still would have died on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you specifically. He said, I love them. I love you. I'm going to save you. He said, I'm going to give them the greatest gift I have, which is love. Again, John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down life for his friends. That's exactly where we find Jesus at the beginning of his story. We see him in a manger, laying his life down in a manger. You know the story. Well, there's Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and wise men. Now, I have to share this quote because it's wonderful. 
If the three wise men had been three wise women, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, and made a casserole. (laughs) There you go. But really, why did those wise men make the journey? Why did they travel that long distance only with the assurance of there's a star in the sky and we've got to get there. Why did the shepherds leave their sheep and go to that stable? It was because God was doing something amazing, something unlike anything that had ever been done before. The birth of Jesus was the birth of true love into our world. Now, I know some junior high kids who will tell me, Pastor Aaron, I found true love. If you're in junior high, I'm sorry, this offends you, but it's true. Oh, Pastor Aaron, the boy passed me in class a note and said, I like you. And I said, I like you back. And I pass it back and we're in true love and we're going to get married. And I'll I'll say to these guys, I'm, I'm especially hard on junior high boys. I'll say, okay, so you found true love. Okay, yes, it's amazing. This girl's so cute. Oh my gosh, she winked at me. Uh, uh, Did she really wink? No, she texted me a winky face. It's the same thing, you know? It's the same thing. And I'll say to them, okay, so would you die for her? And these guys, their eyes just open. They're like, wait, what? Like, when would that ever come into play? Like, when would I ever die for sixth grade Sally? That makes no, like, is that what's going to happen when I get married? Like, I have to die? Well, yeah, kind of. That's kind of what happens when you get married. You have to die for the person. It's really, it's the truth. It's biblical. I'll even break it down. I'm like, okay, so let's say you want to go to the mall and go to the arcade and play the newest video game with your friends. But Sally wants to go shopping. What are you going to do? And their minds just blow up. They're like, I don't think I'm ready for true love. No, you're not. I've, I've had kids ask me before, uh, like, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Aaron, would, if it were up to you, if you made all the rules, would you make it like just, it's like accepted and great for junior high kids to date? And I respond to them, well, if it were up to you and you made the rules, would you let a baby drive a fire truck? Think about it. Anyway, so there was a man. There was a man, all junior high kids, and they're like, I'm not coming back next week. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I have to say really quick, uh, I was teaching uh, on a Saturday night, and uh, my dad, I asked him, how'd I do? And he's like, oh, I was watching you. I was just mesmerized. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Something really encouraging. He's like, I was just mesmerized because you were on your phone the whole time. What were you doing? Checking Angry Birds, tweeting, checking Facebook. Like, what's going on? These are my notes, just so you know. (laughs) Anyway, I got another story. So (laughs) there was a guy. And he was an oil tycoon. He was just rich. He had all these oil fields. And he is just a wealthy, wealthy Texas man. Well, he had a daughter, and she was just plain Jane. Like, no guy wanted anything to do with her. Just, just like, not even, like, looked boring, but just had a boring personality. And he was just like, oh, my daughter is so beautiful. Why can't anyone see that? And unfortunately, she inherited most of his traits, and so she looked like a man. Anyway, um... (laughs) just a bummer for her. And the guy is like, I've got to do something. So he throws a big party at his Texas mansion and he invites all these young bachelors and he, he, cooks up a, a wonderful spread of, of chicken and fish and, and hot dogs and burgers and, and everyone's hanging out by the pool and there's a big tarp in the pool and everyone's wondering, like, I want, are we going to swim? What's going on? And he says, all right, gentlemen, gather around, gather around. And he pulls the tarp off the pool and he has filled the pool with alligators and piranhas and sharks. And they're swimming around and they're biting each other and there's blood in the water and the sharks are going crazy. And everyone's like, is this a cult? Like, why are, what is going on here? Like, what? And 
and, and they're there and the man says, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to offer any man who can swim across these waters one of these three prizes. One, five million dollars. Two, my largest oil field, which will gain them even more money in the future. Or three, both of those prizes combined in addition to my daughter's hand in marriage. And everyone's kind of stopping. They're looking around and they look over at uh, Mrs. Mann and they're just like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> money and marriage. <laughs> oh, this is, no one's going to do this. No one's going to jump in. Well, all of a sudden they hear a splash and there's a guy in the pool and everyone starts cheering and the guy is swimming for his life and the crocodiles are biting and the sharks are snapping and the piranhas are jumping and everyone's just like, oh my gosh. And he gets to the end and he starts climbing out and he's bloody and he's all scratched up and he's got chunks of his leg missing and he gets up. And he's just, he's panting. And the the old man comes over and he's like, son, you made it. Son, you got to tell us, what do you want, son? Is it the $5 million? And the guy goes, no. He says, son, is it my richest oil field? No. And then with tears in his eyes, the old man says, then is it both of those things? And my lovely daughter's hand in marriage. And the man goes, no. And everyone's confused, like, what does this guy want? And the old man says, what do you want, son? And he says, I'll tell you what I want. I want the name of the guy who pushed me in the pool. (laughs) So, like, no one would do that, like, by own choice. They'd have to be forced to be pushed into that pool, even for the money, even if it was a girl they actually liked. I mean, that's something no one is going to do. But you know what? Jesus jumped into the cesspool of humanity and he was bit and torn to shreds by the people he encountered here on earth. He was despised. He was rejected. And in the end, he was beaten and bruised and crucified in the most horrible death that could ever been imagined at the time, possibly ever in humanity. He went through that, not for us, not for those who were desirable, but for those who were undesirable. He saw us. And the Bible says at one time before we knew Christ, we were enemies of Christ. And yet he loved us enough to die for us because he wanted us in his family. It's amazing how he did it. God became flesh. He came and he came as a baby in a manger. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I can't see that being that exciting for him. Like, I don't, have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately? I have. I've never looked in the mirror and been like, you know what, God, it's probably great being heavenly and eternal and wonderful and amazing, but have you seen this? I mean, I'm sure you'd probably just want to become a man right now and dwell among us. Like, no, like I would never assume that. I, he probably was not all that excited about that aspect of it. Like, I love junior high kids, but I don't want to be a junior high kid. Like, I don't want to go back and go through junior high. It was terrible. People called me acorn head because of my frumpy little hair. I had a guy in gym class look at me and say, Aaron, you know, your legs are the size of two Christmas hams. And I just, like, really? No. Like, it's it's a hard time. It's And then you got acne and girls rejecting you and just terrible things that happen in junior high. God went through so much more though, coming down to earth as a man, going through everything he went through. It's amazing that he did that. We've been given such a great gift. And the amazing thing about love is love isn't a gift that we're meant to just keep. 
It's a love that is meant to fill us up so that we can pour it out on other people. Love is the gift that keeps on giving. Love is the gift that is meant to be given away. In Galatians 5.13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, sometimes I can get the wrong heart and attitude behind serving people. I can get tired sometimes of serving so much. I can get tired. I'm sure you guys, you guys who are ministry volunteers, you might know what that's like. You become tired. You think, oh man, even as a Christian, I've got to love my neighbor today. They're so annoying. They're so terrible. Uh, or uh, I'm just, I'm a bond servant of Christ. It's my cross to bear to love these people in my life. And we can look down on people and think, you know, we're some spiritual you know, higher ground. But you know what? I think we're looking at it wrong. This is, this is a thought that I had. See, um, growing up, I, I thought it was great. My dad was a pastor. But when you're a little kid, you know, even if you're a pastor's kid, it's like, when you're done with singing worship songs and hearing a Bible story and making a macaroni craft, you know, it's like you just want to get out of there. Like you want to go home. My parents would stand by their front door and they would just talk and talk and talk to everyone who came by. And they remember my mom, especially I'd come up and I'd do the dreaded shoulder tap, just mom, 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 mom. <laughs> Mom, just over and over and over again, I wanted to go home. And I had this reoccurring dream. You know, I was like, it's great. My dad's the pastor. But what if my dad was the ice cream man? <laughs> oh, then life would be sweet. I could work in his ice cream shop and I could serve ice cream to people. And then he has like a never ending supply of ice cream in the back ice cream shed. And he'd keep bringing it out and I could eat the ice cream and it would never run out. and I'd never get fat. I could just give ice cream to people. And, and here's the great thing. This is what I'm realizing is serving God is much, it's much like that. We can look at it as just this, oh, this burden. And yes, there are trials and there are hard things that come. But honestly, it's like working in an ice cream store with the ice cream maker. Like God has so much love to give and he's always producing it and he's always giving it. And if we stand there and we get it, then we get to fill up and then we get to give to other people. And it's this beautiful cycle and it's amazing. The bottom line is our lives should be about loving others. And for Christians, Christmas should not be the season of giving for us. Christmas should merely be the reminder of what our entire lives are about. People should never look at us and think, that Christian's being nice to me. It must be Christmas. They should look at us. No, like they, they should look at us and they should be able to see our entire lives are dictated by a mission of love. God gave us his love through Jesus. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today is we've, we know, most of you know, most of you are in the church. You know, Jesus, you know, we have love. So the question is now, what do we do with love? Now, Jesus was the most loving person who ever lived. He taught us how to love. And we want people to see Jesus in the way we love other people. I remember this beautiful story of this Christian lady who served um, with those who were mentally handicapped, those who had developmental issues, some who had brain injuries, who at one point had normal functioning, but they had suffered a blow to the head and now they functioned as a child, even though in their minds they still thought as a fully grown man or woman just a struggle. And there was this one man who was with a group of mentally handicapped. They were at the strip mall. And this man 
had been through so much and he struggled so much. He, he wanted to be considered just a full grown man, but, but he could barely walk. He could barely talk. He needed to be helped through everything. But he decided, he saw McDonald's and he's like, I'm going to go and get a big gulp. And he walks up and, and he orders it. He kind of stammers, but he orders that big gulp and he gets it and he's just loving it. I'm loving it. Anyway, um, didn't even realize, uh, but he grabs it and it's his and he's so happy. And as they're walking, he's, it's just his prized possession because that's something he did on his own. No one held his hand. No one had walked him through that. And as they exit the mall, the rain is coming down hard. And, and the guy, the leader of the group of the caretakers, he's like, here's what we're going to do. Um, you stay here with the group. I'll take each one of them across the street to the van and we'll get them there. We'll keep them safe. I'll, I've got the umbrella. And so they're walking and they transport one guy in the next and the next. And finally, it's the last guy with the big gulp. And the girl grabs his hand and they're walking across the street and he drops the big gulp. And to him, this is like devastation upon devastation. That was like all he had going for him in his life, his only achievement. And he drops it and just all over the place. And he falls down on his knees and starts bawling like a baby, just crying his eyes out. And the rain is coming down. He's getting wet. Now this girl had a choice. She could have looked at him and said, hey, come on, get your act together. Come on, get up. We got to go. We got to get to the van. Everyone's waiting for us. Like, stop crying. Don't be a baby. But you know what she did? This, this lady got down on her knees in the rain put her arm around this guy and just let him cry and just loved him. And then he cried and he cried and he cried until he couldn't cry anymore. And then she picked him up and they walked to the van. And I see Jesus in that story. And I see that there's people in our lives who need that kind of love, not a judgmental love, not a get your act together. I'll love you if you do this, if you do that, but just an unconditional. That's what Jesus did. We see so many stories, whether you were a thief, whether you were a tax collector, whether you were a prostitute, Jesus got down onto your level and he looked you in the eye and he spoke to you with love and kindness and respect and he put his arm around you and he brought you into the kingdom. And that's what we see in the Bible and in our own lives. That's the love people need from us. Now, I've spent my whole life around believers, grew up in the church, and I love God's people. But as this year, I was studying the book of Acts, I remembered the Lord moving in my heart. And I remember my, the Lord making me think of the lost and made me think, what about them? I know you love the Christians. And I know that you have a really good time talking to the Christians about Jesus, but what about them? I thought, well, of course I love the lost. And God said, really? Do you really love them? And I started to think of a burning building. And I started to think about how strange it would be if I was a man in a burning building and I was rescued by a fireman and I got dragged out of the flames into the street and I'm lying there. And then I look back up at the burning building and I see the people perishing. And I say to myself, that is so sad. But they got themselves into their own mess. Man, they, they really need to change. They really need to get out of that burning building. That would be bizarre. If I'm in a burning building and I get dragged out into the street, I'm going to look up and think, those people need help. They need a savior. They need someone to come in and rescue them. But so many times in my own life, I turn on the news and I turn on the radio and I turn on the TV and I see someone, maybe a celebrity who at one time claimed to be a Christian, now doing something just perverse or strange or, or wicked. And I say to myself, how dare they? They at one time said they were a Christian and now look at them. I can't even. No, I need to be praying for that person. I need to be on my knees begging God to save them, not judging them, but loving them. Now, God says, I love them. 
And so you need to love them. He says, I am love. You need to introduce them to love. Bible says, go and make disciples. But so many times it's like, if I had the cure for cancer in a bottle, I wouldn't be scared to give that. That wouldn't be an awkward situation. I wouldn't be like, oh, I don't know if I can. No, I'd be in hospitals, like giving people that cure. Obviously, any, any person would, a non-Christian would be doing that. But sin is a cancer that eats our heart and kills our soul. And we have the cure. And so many times I'm so scared to give that to people. What if they think I'm awkward? What if they think I'm weird? What if they reject me? But the Lord spoke to me. I remember in Oceanside, I was studying the book of Acts. And he said, Aaron, you can't preach on this unless you do it. If you don't want to do it, then pick a different book to preach. Preach Leviticus. The junior high kids will love it. So I'm like, okay, God, like if, if you really want me to, I'll do it. But I just need an opportunity. Like, I don't want to go out and like seek someone out and like just tell them about Jesus. Like, give me an opportunity. And as I'm praying this, I hear a voice behind me and a guy says, hey, can you buy me a beer? And I'm like, oh, moral dilemma. Like, what a, I'm a pastor buying a guy a beer. And luckily I didn't have my wallet. And I was just like, I don't have my wallet. And he's like, eh. And he starts walking this way and I start walking that way. And I'm like, well, I guess I missed that opportunity. And God was like, no, you didn't go. And I'm like, no God, because he walked that way and I'm walking this way. And so logically, if I start walking that way, he's going to think something's up. But God's like, do it. So I start walking this way and the guy looks over his shoulder and he sees me and he starts walking faster <laughs> to get away from me. And I catch up to him. I just grab my shoulder. And he's like, what do you want? I'm like, hey, I, you're probably going to think I'm crazy. But you, you just need to know that God loves you. And he died for you. And he has a plan for you. And he wants to forgive you. And the guy just kind of stopped. And he's like, thank you. Like, I think I needed to hear that, man. And he walked away. And, and I realized that it's love. It's delivering the message. I'm not responsible for saving someone. I'm just the deliverer of the message. It's not my responsibility to get people saved. I plant the seeds. You plant the seeds. It's not my responsibility as a pastor. It's my responsibility as a Christian. And the Lord is just awakening these things in my heart. A few weeks later, I was at an Albertsons and I don't normally get angry. I'm not a person who gets very mad. I don't get road rage or anything. And, and I'm just very calm most of the time. But I was at Albertsons and I was running late. I'm, I'm playing it cool. I'm running late for a junior high home fellowship. I'm like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And I get a phone call from my dad. And my dad says, Aaron, we just got a letter. It looks like about six months ago, you went through a red light, right turn, didn't stop all the way. They got you on camera. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he's like, yeah. And the letter didn't come to your house. It came to our house. And this has apparently happened a long time ago. And if you don't pay this in like two days, it's going to be $500 more on top of the other 500. I'm angry at this point. Like I am going through the aisle and I'm just like Oreos, Jesus, and just throwing them in the bag. Like, like just angry. And I remember leaving the store just so frustrated. I'm just like, my life is terrible. And I see this girl, and she's on the ground. She's got an Albertson's apron on, cigarette in one hand, and she is just crying her eyes out. And I see her, and God speaks to my heart and says, love, it's what you're supposed to do. And I was like, I'm don't, I don't know this girl. I have my own problems. Like, I don't want to be dealing with her problems on top of my problems. And I'm like, and God was like, what, what's more important? And so I'm still angry and I walk over to her and I'm like, hey, <laughs> seriously. And she, and she looks up at me and she's got her, um, her eyes are all messed up with makeup. She looks up and she's like, what? And she's, 
And I'm like, you don't know me, but I, you're having a really bad day, I can tell. I, I'm having a bad day too. I just need you to know Jesus loves you and he died for you. He has a plan for you. You're his daughter. You're so precious to him. And she just stands right up, biggest smile on her face. She just lights up, gives me a big hug. And she says, I'm a Christian. I haven't spoken to another Christian in a month. I've been praying for God to send me someone. Thank you so much. And, and I was just like, I could have missed that opportunity so easily, but it's so easy when you step out in love and you realize God is the one who is behind this. One more story. I was behind the train tracks uh, walking. It was behind Fresh and Easy in Oceanside. And I'm, I'm walking and I'm, and I'm listening to a Bible study. It's about evangelism. And at this point, the Lord had really, it's, it was in the summer and the Lord had really stirred up my heart about evangelism. And I had several opportunities to just step out and they were great. So at this point, I'm like, you know what, God? You should send me someone today. I'll, I'll do it. I will do it. Literally, 30 seconds later, a tall man with long hair and tattoos jumps out of the bushes and he's like, whoa. And, like, and, I, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And he's like, he's like, yo, what's up, SA? And I'm like, whoa. And he's like, yo, Holmes, let me use your phone, homie. And I was like, oh my goodness. So he called, he used my phone and he calls his friends and he's like, you guys gonna pick me up to go to the beach? And they're like, no. And so he's like, man, can you take me to the beach? And I literally, I lied. I was like, this is, I'm not exaggerating. This is what I said. I was like, uh, sorry, man. My, my wife needs me to go to the store to pick up some grapes. <laughs> like, like who says to their husband, like, just go get me singular grapes. Like, that's all I need. So I start walking away and the Lord convicts me. And he's like, you liar, go do what you're supposed to do. So I go over to him. I'm like, Hey man, it totally worked out. turns out she doesn't need the grapes. Um, <laughs> lied again. Um, and I say to him, I can take you. So we get in the car and we start driving and he looked much older, but he turned out to be a 17 year old guy. And I start asking about his life. And I'm like, tell me about yourself. And he's like, yo, homie, if it, if it weren't for graffiti, I would have been a mass murderer. I just got out of prison, yo. And I'm like, you're telling me this now that you're in my car and we're driving long distance. Like, what? And, and I start talking to him. He's talking to me about how he's, he's like, I can never live up to my mom's expectations. You know, they're so high. No matter what I do, I'm always a failure. I'm always messing up. And I was like, you know, I'm, a, I'm, kind, of a, I'm kind of a pastor, but, uh, you know, God has standards and God has perfection expectations. And I've never met those. I've always failed. I've always fallen short. I can't hit that mark. But you know what? I have Jesus. And because of Jesus, when God sees me, he doesn't see my imperfections. He sees Jesus. And I start talking to him. And, and he told me, you know, God, when I was in jail, God spoke to me. And he said that he wanted me to follow him, but I didn't know what that meant. I was like, do you want to know? And I told him what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and a disciple. And he's like, I want to do that. And we prayed. And he's like, I'm going to go tell all my friends who got out of jail. And it was so cool. It was so amazing. And I just want to encourage you guys to know that the, the gospel is love. And we're called to give that love to other people. And we don't need to be afraid because God is with us. He prepares all those encounters. We just need to be willing to go take them. Now, it's kind of like an electric blanket. Um, my wife loves her electric blanket so much. And it's a good reason too, because at night, her feet are so cold and she will put them on me. She'll just be like, I'm cold. Whack. And it's like, oh, like why? And I'm, it's crazy. So I love the electric blanket because I'll just be like, you know what? Here you go. And then she's fine. But an electric blanket 
It's warm and it's powerful and it's wonderful, but if it's lying on the ground, even if it's plugged in, if it's next to the bed, it doesn't do me any good. It doesn't change anything in me. It doesn't change my temperature. It's still warm. It's still wonderful, but it doesn't do anything. I need to be wrapped up in that electric blanket. And the gospel is the same way. It's always powerful. It's always true. It's always wonderful. But unless you allow your heart to be wrapped up in the gospel, it's not going to do anything. You have to allow yourself to step into what God wants to do in your life. You need to let down your walls and get out of your comfort zone and say, I want the message of the gospel to be wrapped up in my heart and change me. It's even with my thoughts on the homeless. There's been times where I've looked at them and thought like, man, why don't they just get a job? Why don't they get their act together? Why don't they, you know, just go out and do it? But I don't know these people. I don't know the struggle they've been through. I don't know the hardships that have brought them to where they are in their life. And Jesus also was homeless. He came from his royal throne and he came down here and lived as a homeless man. And it just makes me think that I don't have any right to look on someone I don't know and say, they don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my kindness. They don't deserve my charity. When God looked at me and he knew every sin I'd ever done and every sin you'd ever done and every thought and word and deed, and he said, you don't deserve my love. I don't deserve his charity. We don't deserve his grace, but he gives it to us because he loves us. And I feel like we need to give that love unconditionally to everyone in our life. We need selfless, unconditional love, just like Jesus. Now, the gospel is something I've heard so many times growing up as a pastor's kid in the church. And I was, I I see this in my own life, There's times where I'm hearing a message on the gospel and it comes up and I can tune out because it's like, I've heard this before. And it's sad. I was teaching some junior high kids the other day at class here at the school and I was telling them some funny story about how a black widow was trying to kill me and they loved it. And then I tried to relate it to something spiritual. I started talking about the gospel and Jesus and I could see them just start to tune out and talk to one another. And it's it's really causing me to think that we need to always keep the gospel central in our heart. We need to never forget what Jesus did for us. If we hope to reach the people in our lives with love, the gospel must always stay alive in our hearts. We can't let it die. We need to be constantly reminded about what Jesus has done for us. Now, Jesus often told stories, parables, which illustrated who he was. And I was thinking about that. I was like, that's such a brilliant way to, to teach is to tell a story that it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's the gospel, but it's wrapped up in a different way. And it, it really causes us to think about it. And so I started writing this parable and I'd like to share it with you. I'll close with this. Long ago, there was a warrior. And this warrior and his companions fought to take a land from evil rulers. They took a barren wasteland and they made it beautiful. It was this valley with a hill that stretched up And they took it and they began a kingdom there. And they built the kingdom on love. For the king absolutely loved his people. He provided for them. He cared for them. And he guided their everyday interactions. There was always peace in the kingdom because of the love of the king. But over time, the king's enemies crept into the valley. They crept into the lower part of the hill. And they began telling lies. Your king doesn't really love you. He's too obsessed with his royal affairs to pay you any attention. He 
plans to turn you all into slaves to build giant palaces for himself. Forget him. He's a monster. You need to make your own decisions. Don't follow that king. Live instead for yourself. And people started to listen. They started to believe the lies. And at the lower part of the hill, they started to turn to rebellion. The people began to follow these wicked men and they turned to destruction. It broke the king's heart to see his people turn against him. They forgot what he had done. They forgot his love. And the wickedness of the people eventually became so great that the king knew he had to protect those who were loyal to him, who remained on the upper part of the hill. And so what he did was he constructed a giant wall. And this wall stretched hundreds and hundreds of feet. And it divided the kingdom into the upper kingdom and the lower kingdom. And the people in the lower kingdom, all they saw was a wall and they couldn't see into the upper kingdom. But the king sitting atop the upper kingdom, the wall, he could look down and he could see the people in the lower kingdom. And it broke his heart. 40 years passed and there was no law. Every man did what was right in his own eyes and many forgot about the king. They started to elect rulers among the people. Many forgot the king's voice. Many forgot his face, the way he looked. Many forgot him entirely. But the king did not forget his people. From his balcony, he could easily see down into the valley. And night after night, his heart and his spirit would break when he saw the destruction and pain the people were causing themselves. And he shed tears night after night for his fallen and his lost people, the people he loved so much, the families he knew, the the people who were his beloved. Many of his advisors told him, sire, it's a lost cause. How can you still love them when they rebel against you? How can you love them when some hate you and others have forgotten you completely? You must wage war. You must destroy them. Start over. Rebuild a new kingdom. But the king would not listen. Night after night, he would gaze down and he would wonder, what can I do for these people? What can I do for them? One day, the king's son, the young prince, he came to the king and he said, father, I've been watching You're suffering, and I've been seeing your heart break for our people, and it breaks my heart as well because I love you, and I also love them. And I can't stand to see this. We have to do something. And the king said, I don't know what we can do, son. The prince said, Father, let me go to them. I will tell them about you. I will bring them to the upper kingdom. The father said, no, son, they will kill you. There's no way. But the son said, I will go in disguise, I will put on beggar's clothes and I will go to them and I will become one of them and I will tell them about you. And at this, the king got excited. He said, yes, this plan could work. And so a plan was made. The the prince was given, his royal robes were cast off and he was given dirty, ragged beggar's clothes. And he was only given one thing to help him. It was the royal ring. This ring had a, a royal crest on it of the crown. And if anyone saw that, they would know that this man had power behind him, but he kept it hidden. Now, dressed as a peasant, the prince entered the lower kingdom and he was shocked at how he was treated. He was spit on. He was cursed at. He was kicked. He was hit. He was mistreated. He had never been treated this way. He was used to being loved by everyone. He was used to being praised by everyone. He was used to everyone in the kingdom, in the upper kingdom, just just loving him. And now he was faced with utter rejection, but he never gave up because he was on a mission of love. 
He got a job working for a baker, selling bread on the street corner. And he never kept any of the money he earned for himself. He only used what he needed to, to rent a little room in an inn. But besides that, every other cent he made, he used to buy bread from the stock he was selling so that he could give it away for free. He was known by love. He would play with the orphans in the street and tell them about his king, his loving father. People would come from all around to get bread and hear the stories of the king from the upper kingdom. Many thought it was a legend. Some believed. He even brought medicine from the upper kingdom and he would use it to heal the sick. And people would ask him, where did you get this medicine? He would say, from my father in the upper kingdom. And they'd say, you're crazy. That's a legend. There's no way. Hardly anyone believed, but he still loved them all. And he continued to tell them about the upper kingdom. Now, one day a beggar came for bread and he said, sir, my life is over. I have no hope. Please give me some bread so I may eat it and then die in peace. And the prince told him, you don't have to die. You don't have to give up. Listen, go to the upper kingdom. My father lives there. And in my father's kingdom, in the upper kingdom, the poorest beggar is treated like a king and given the best seat at the table because my father loves them all so much. And the beggar just started to well up with tears. And he's like, I can't, I can't go to such a place. They'd never take me. I'm not worthy. And he walked away muttering to himself. And the prince just, he was sad, but he, he, never, he never gave up hope. The next morning, the prince woke up and there were sounds of commotion and, and sounds of, of violence. And as he went out, he saw there was a group of men who had grabbed a thief and they were bringing him to a large wooden stake. And that was their form of execution back then. And back then, the, the crowds, they were so wicked and they were so used to violence that they loved this type of thing. So they were gathering around, burn him, burn him at the stake, burn the thief. And they started tying him up and the prince recognized the man. It was the beggar he talked to the night before, the beggar who he gave some bread. And he said, he ran up and he said, set this man free at once, set him free. And the executioner hit him across the face and said, get out of here street rat who are you to question my authority and the prince pulled out his ring and showed him the ring and the the executioner recognized the royal seal and he was like who is this man and the prince said you set him free and so the executioner let the thief go but the people said we must have someone to pay for this. Someone needs to die for this crime. And the prince said, you can take me. And the audience was like, who is this stranger? Who is this man? Isn't that the man who plays with the, the beggar children? Isn't that the man who gives bread? But there were those in the audience who knew who the prince really was, the enemies of the king. And they cried out. They said, this man is a liar. This man is a thief. He steals from bread and says he gives it away for free. This is a man who tells lies. He claims to be a prince, but we know our king died long ago. This man is spreading poisonous lies and he must die and the people started to get excited they said yes kill that man and so they strapped him to the wood and they set it on fire now the prince knew he was going to die and he only had one thing on his mind i've got to tell them so he cried out, you have to listen. You have to listen. My father loves you. You have to go to the upper kingdom. You have to get there. But no one listened except one man. It was the beggar. The beggar jumped up and he grabbed his hand and he said, sir, I want to go. How do I get to the upper kingdom? And the prince said, listen, follow the wall to the east side. And there you will find a tunnel, a very narrow tunnel. It's a dark path, but I've left a lantern for you. Follow it and you'll find a door. Go through the door and you'll be in my father's kingdom. And the beggar was crying. He's like, why would you do this for me? And he said, because I love you and my father loves you. Now go. And the beggar ran. 
and the flames started to get higher. Now the king was on the balcony and he looked out and he saw the smoke and he, he looked down and he saw his only son tied to the stake with the flames around and the crowd cheering and his heart just burst out of his chest. And he's like, no, this is what I always feared. This is, I can't believe this is happening. I have to go save him. But then he saw something else. To the west, there was an army of his greatest enemies, thousands of troops racing towards the lower kingdom to attack it. And he was faced with this dilemma. My son is dying, but these people will die too. Do I save my son who I love and who loves me? Or do I save these people who I love, but they've rejected me? And he started to remember his son and he remembered the plan they made. And he remembered his son saying, father, we've got to save these people no matter what. At any cost, we have to save them. And in his heart, the father knew what he had to do. And his heart in that moment broke in half. And with tears just running down his face, he said, gather the troops, we're going to war. And while his son burned to death, the king rode out to fight the enemy and won. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And that's what God did for us. The amazing thing is they knew what they were getting into. It was not a surprise. They came to the earth. Jesus came knowing he would die. The father knew it and they did it willingly. They laid down their life for us. And we can never forget it. Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Father, we thank you so much for your love. And we thank you, Lord. God, I pray this love would change us. And God, we know it, but it's so good to be reminded. I pray, Lord, that the love would be fresh in our hearts. I pray that it would change us and that through it we would bring your hope and your love and your joy to everyone around us. And God, I feel like this Christmas, there are people in our life who need to be forgiven. There are people in our life who need to be told that we love them without any judgment, without any condemnation that we would look at these people in our life, whether it's a brother or an uncle or a father or a mother or a sister or a daughter or a son or a friend or an ex-friend or a homeless man on the corner. God, I pray that we would tell these people in our life that we love them and that Jesus loves them. Change our hearts, Lord. Help us to love. We love you in your name. Amen. Great job, Aaron. What a great word. God is love. He sent his son Jesus to be the demonstration of that love. And then he invites us to be conduits of that love. I don't know about you, but I was just deeply convicted by just that sense of all around us every day are opportunities if we just were open. And maybe for those of you here who are believers and you know the Lord. I want to just encourage you, challenge you, as I was challenged today, to maybe this week say, Lord, give me an opportunity. And step into it when he does. And watch and see what happens. You know, Jesus said that narrow is the way that leads to life. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. 
He said, broad is the way, and there's many on that road, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and only few find it. And Jesus also said that he was the light of the world and that he was the door. And maybe you're here today and you've been just wrestling in your heart with with the Lord. Maybe you professed Christ at one time and, and then you walked away from him. Maybe you've been struggling because like that guy that Aaron ran into, you're feeling like, you know, there, there's a standard and I can't live up to it. And we all have felt that way. But the beauty is, is like he shared today, that, that Jesus paid the price. Jesus met the standard. And when we give our lives to him, God places us in his son and he sees us now in Jesus. And as we close today, if you're here and maybe you've never given your life to the Lord or maybe you have at one time and, and you, um, you have walked away from it, I want to invite you today to make a decision to respond to this gift of love, this relationship with Christ. And up front are some men and a man, and there's going to be a couple up over here, some men and women that would love to pray with you. And they're up here to pray for any need that you might have. But especially if you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ, you want to come back to the Lord, I encourage you to just come up and say, you know what? I need Jesus. Let him pray with you today. Amen.